This morning, Pastor Ingrid, uh, she shared like a, 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 a scripture before we, we got started. And I, I leaned over to her and I was like, did you peek at my notes to figure out what we are preaching on so you can uh, share what share a verse that was, that was along those lines? And she's like, not a clue, did not. Uh, so I want you to know that there is a level of like intentionality that we have not yet reached. And yet the Holy Spirit is still great in that he speaks to us and puts us on the same path because our message today is going to speak about vindication, about our perception of justice and how that affects us, how fairness affects us, but even on a cosmic level. So let's, uh, let's dive in and we'll, we'll just pray first. God, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you the, for the opportunity that we have as uh, as a church family here, God, just to walk through uh, scripture, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, in our Becoming Heart Strong um, series, that we just, we want to be full of your word uh, so we can walk in your ways, God. And so I just pray that today, as we dive into scripture from this week's readings for us, God, that you would just lead us and guide us in righteousness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so all the grandparents in the room, definitely all the grandparents. We got some grandparents in the room. Give me a wave. You don't have to pretend like you don't, you're not a grandparent to be younger or whatever. Uh, but uh, all of you know, for sure, you guys know one simple truth. And parents know it as well, but we, we tend to just overlook it. But grandparents know this for true, that unless it's their birthday, you never show up with one gift when there's multiple siblings. You don't give one kid a gift and leave the others out, do you? Am I right, grandparents? You never do that. If you're gonna hand them a treat, you come with enough treats for all the kids, right? You don't come with just one because you know what's gonna happen. You know when all the other siblings are there or all the other kids are there and they see what you've done, they're gonna be like, um, where's mine? That's not fair. How come they got that and I didn't get that? Where's my gift coming along? We know that that's just what follows. Can I get one? And we just like, as grandparents, you know, you're just going to avoid that altogether, right? You're just not even going to be there. So if you don't have enough for everybody, you just tuck them away and you don't even bring them out. My dad always brings little boxes of Smarties. Every time he visits, he brings little boxes of Smarties for all the kids. And uh, no matter the age and stage of life that our kids are at, when those Smarties get handed out, they're always like, oh, oh, where's my Smarties? And if it looks like they're not about to get their Smarties, they're like, wait a minute, Smarties are for everybody. We can see that with us as adults too. We can see what others have and we wonder why they have it and we don't. Why they somehow deserve for good fortune or luck to seemingly go their way. We've been through more. We've gone through the hard times. We need that break. We need that reward. And maybe only a little less insidious in our hearts is the desire to be included in the blessing that others are receiving instead of just being joyful that they are receiving. See, there's this anxiousness that we can get when we want to be included, when we don't want to miss out on something, or when we're going through something that's hard and we want to get to the other side or we want to get through it. There's this anxiousness that causes us to look at others and look in other places in order for us to work through 
what's going on in our lives. And this is the heart of our passage that we're going to study today and we're going to look at, but in a most serious manner. Because it centers not just on how we're living life now and what we're going through. Yes, it talks about that, but it also talks about life or death matters. Back in 1970, which is way before I was born, uh, singer-songwriter Larry Norman, who was new to his faith, uh, and who we would say now would be a part of the Jesus movement and Jesus people, he wrote a song about the end times. And it would later be covered by lots of other artists, including DC Talk in 1995, a little after I was born. Some of, the, some of the lines of the song are like this. It goes like this. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Doesn't that sound like that just fits like that could be a lyric we'd write today about what's going on in our world right now, whether it be Ukraine or in Israel and Palestine, where life seems to be filled with guns and war. Another line says, a man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head, and he's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. Because there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. That last line is both chilling and clear in there, isn't it? The sun has come and you've been left behind. Part of that song, its inspiration comes from Matthew 24, where Jesus is talking about these matters. And also Luke 17, where a Pharisee asks Jesus when the kingdom of, a kingdom of God would come. And Jesus, in his response to him, uh, because he was anticipating, again, like we've talked about in the past, if you've been with us, that Israel was groaning and longing for a Messiah that, who was going to raise them up to be a world empire, where whoever was sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, the Messiah that was doing that, that king that would come, he would rule the world politically. He would rule the world militarily, but he'd be in a very physical and real world like we know. But Jesus bluntly says, it's not happening like that. And that you can't point it out because it's already here and you can't even see it. The Pharisees didn't even notice that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was preaching that kingdom to come and they did not know what he meant. So Jesus then turns to his disciples to give further insight as what it means for his kingdom to come. What is it going to look like when his kingdom fully comes, when it, when, it, when it works through? He turns and he gives them further insight. And if you were to look through uh, Luke 17 there, he talks about this. He says, people will say that I've already come. That the, that the Messiah has already come a second time and that everything is, we're living in this new kingdom already. He says, don't listen. Don't listen to them. He says, it'll be like a flash of lightning across the sky. You'll notice it. You'll see it. So look up for it. Look for it. But he says, 
that he must suffer and die before that all happens. Before it gets to that point, he's going to suffer and die. Because in that time, it's going to be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Both were, were completely filled with evil. Both were going about their everyday business like tomorrow was going to be just another day when God's judgment came. A couple in bed, one stays, the other goes. There's this separation that happens in both those stories that Jesus alludes to when he comes. And the disciples are probably just like we would be, eyes wide open. What is he talking about? This is, this is going to be intense, what he's talking about. Asking where this is going to happen. How are they going to know to see? Where are they going to look to see this happen? Because remember, both Noah and Lot have geographic locations to them. So when he's making reference to them, their minds are like, okay, there's something happening in a place that I need to be ready for. Jesus answers in a Hebrew proverb about death and vultures. Where you see vultures, you know that there's, you see the vultures circling, you know that there's something that's dead below it. And he's meaning this to say, listen, as easy as it is for somebody to see the vultures circling and something dead below, it's going to be that easy to know when and where things are happening. He's talking about his second coming. So the question I'd ask you today, this is this, how, how would you have felt hearing that at that time? More so, how do you feel now hearing that? And this is where we pick up in chapter 18 because he says all this and this is where the disciples' hearts are, probably right where our hearts would be and are right now when we're hearing what it's going to be like, how it's going to be, one left, one, left, one stays. We pick it up both with Pharisees and disciples listening. He gives two parables that speak to the reality of our lives and Jesus' return. They speak to our hearts. They speak to what we think should happen. They speak to vindication of our lives and what we think we should, we should get as a result of them. It speaks to justification, what we think we should, we should see because of the lives we've led. They speak to our choices in responding to injustice speaks to all of these things. And ultimately, they speak to encourage and they guide us as we pay attention to the reality that every minute that passes draws us closer to the return of Christ. That fear and despair and hate, they should not lead the way. Rather, faith, hope, and love should. And on the surface, when we see these two parables, one right after the other, they don't seem like they they're, have all that much in common. And so as we listen to them, see if you can draw the connections as we begin to talk to them. So in Luke chapter 18, if you're following along in your Bibles digitally or, or your paper Bibles, you can follow along at the very beginning of Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
Right at the very beginning of this parable, right beforehand, Luke gives us the answer as to why he's telling them this parable. He wants his disciples to pray, to be on the lookout, and to not lose heart despite whatever they're going to go through in life leading up to his second coming. Between this point where he said, this is what's going to happen. It's going to look like this. I'm going to come back. Between now and then, I want you to be praying and watching out. I want you not to lose heart despite what you go through. He said, in a certain city, there's a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, thus she, though she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's his first parable. And he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So there are disciples listening and there's Pharisees listening and there's two different hearts that are listening right this moment that he's talking to. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. While both these parables are, are different, they both contain God and two people in them. Their theme, vindication, contrasts the expectation of the characters within the parables and God's response. One is directed towards the disciples, listening, leaning in for wisdom. The other towards Pharisees who thought themselves superior. In the first parable, Jesus draws our attention to the widow who is vulnerable and helpless. And in the second story, Jesus focuses on the Pharisee, both esteemed and self-righteous. That widow in the first parable, 
She comes to a judge and he is not righteous at all. He is corrupt. He has no fear of God, which we know from the Old Testament is the beginning of wisdom. So he's not wise at all. And he doesn't respect people. He only grants justice, the right ruling. He only grants it to get her off his back. Jesus is asking, if this is what an unwise, disrespectful judge will do when pursued, what do you think God will do? This judge could not be more unlike our Heavenly Father. God doesn't only execute justice, it's who he is. It's his character, it's his nature. That's where we get justice, is because he can do nothing but be just. Jesus encourages disciples, and you and I today, that he sees us in our distress. He will not delay longer than necessary. Now, it may seem slow in our timing where we're looking at the things we're going through and we're like, really, really, God? Are you really not delaying? But in God's timing, he always arrives in perfect time. He always arrives exactly when he should. Which means whatever we're going through, there's something for us to work through. There's a level of submission that he's asking for. There's a level of, of pursuit that he wants. There's a level of trust that he's looking for before he arrives on time. So we're encouraged to watch, to pray, to not lose heart. Why? Because we're not widows. We're not strangers to the judge. We are his children. Our access isn't limited to pounding on his door saying, grant me justice. We have open access to God. The widow, she has no advocate on her behalf. We have an advocate, an intercessor, and the high priest in Jesus. The widow has no promise to acclaim, but we have the promises of God in his word. The widow has no internal helper, but we have the Holy Spirit. The widow has, she came to a court of law, but where do we go? We go to the throne of justice and grace. The widow, she made her case in poverty, but we make our case as heirs of salvation. Her judge was unrighteous. God's right hand is righteousness and spread forth the heavens. Her judge answers her in annoyance. Our judge anoints our heads and prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies for his glory. Don't lose heart today. Don't look away from Jesus. Don't stop praying and looking for the day of his return, for his justice to unfold. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is rhetorically saying this. He's saying, after all, after all what I've just said, so what am I going to come back and find? What am I going to come back and find from you disciples? He's encouraging them. Jesus will be looking for those who are praying and watching for his return. Even as he, in that moment, 
begins to circle his way into Jerusalem where he will ultimately suffer and die. So today, how do your experiences with human justice impact your ability to prayerfully call on God? Has the way you've been treated by humans in, in, in an unjust and in unfair way affect how you call on God and trust that he will deal with you justly? Now some, in that moment, they were listening to Jesus and they were quick, quick to skip over this, this call, this altar call moment basically for, for the disciples where Jesus is calling them forward. Are you going to be coming after me? Are you going to be praying? Are you going to be watching for me? Asking them to buy into that. And the Pharisees, they just skipped that moment altogether. Why? Because they felt confident in who they were. They treated or they trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Maybe they listened to that last parable and they were sure that they were not the poor widow needing vindication. They were sure they had it all together and didn't need to go before a judge like that. They would not need encouragement to pray to God because they love to pray to God. And the prayer of the, of this thinly, in this thinly disguised parable, the prayer of the, the Pharisee shows this. We have God and a Pharisee in this next parable who feels himself most righteous and a tax collector who knows the depravity of his sin. God listens to both prayers. If you notice, he listens to both of them. He doesn't skip over what he hears. He listens beyond the heart of the men, beyond the societal appearances that they walk in with. God, who is good and just, he knows exactly who they both are. And they both try, pray what they think is true for them, what is right for them. Yet Jesus will show us true can't only be true to you because he is truth for everyone. What the Pharisee believes and what the, and what the tax collector believes, they both think they're true and they're right in what they're, they're saying, but ultimately both are going to have to come before Jesus who's going to give us full truth. And normally when talking about others, I would highly encourage a lot of I statements. Instead of accusatory you statements, I, I encourage I statements. Talk about yourself. Talk about what you feel. Those are usually good. But in this circumstance, this Pharisee, in his statements that he's making, he makes these big I statements to God. He makes, he, he, he's like, it's just, it's not a good look on him. It's, it's full of pride. It reeks pride. He's like, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Uh, just like, just reeks, doesn't it? When you're talking to somebody and they're like, oh, I did this and I went on vacation over here and then I went on my jet ski over here. You're just like, oh, just make it stop, right? You have that, you can hear that. You've heard somebody else use I oh, statements like that, haven't you? He's doing that, but he's doing that before God. He's in the, he's in the temple before God saying, I've done this. 
He's bragging about going above and beyond what the Judaic law required. Now hear this. I want you to hear this. Because the issue is not the spiritual disciplines that he was doing. There's nothing wrong with the spiritual disciplines he was doing. In fact, that is actually what is required. That's what the, the tax collector should have been doing and wasn't. None of those things are wrong. What's wrong is the position the Pharisee believes those practices in comparison to others puts him with God. He says, look, I've done all of this. So I get to come into this door. He hasn't. So he gets booted. That's his perspective. I've done everything, so I get to go in. There's such a different position we see with the tax collector. There's no I statements declaring his value. There's no comparison to others. What we do see is someone seeing their lack, seeing the emptiness inside them and leaving room for God to deliver what is really true. What we hear is probably the simplest and most authentic sinner's prayer that someone can pray. Because in Luke 18, 13, we see it says, but the tax collector standing far off will not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God listens to both prayers. He's only going vi to vindicate or justify one and not the other. God renders his verdict and explains why he ruled this way. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So how did that Pharisee exalt himself? He was trusting in his own truth, his own practices, his own piety in comparison to others to be good enough for God. So for us today, we can hear the call to ask this, how might I be exalting myself? How may I be trusting in myself rather than God? How might I be looking around at others, maybe even here in this church, and have deep whispers in my heart that are saying, God, I thank you that I am not like them. I thank you that I don't have their problems. I thank you that I'm better than that. A call for us to humble ourselves. How did the tax collector humble himself? He did not trust in his own truth. He did not trust in his own riches. He wasn't a poor man. He would have been, he would have been milking everybody for all their money. But he allowed God to identify him correctly. And then, by extension, his behavior as sinful. God's grace and mercy needed to cover his brokenness. And we can hear Jesus asking, are we allowing God's word to read us accurately? 
Can we trust that God is good even when we fall short? Because God's determination is not who is better, but how we are vindicated or justified. And as Jesus shared these, these parables to encourage his disciples and admonish the Pharisees in light of his return, he wanted them to be clear on what is required. Persistence, endurance, and trust in the midst of injustice. That God is good and just. Humility and awareness of our need to constantly rely on the grace and mercy of God. Our righteous acts, our humble worship, not justification of our goodness. Both parables have prayer at the center of them. Prayer is that lever that we use to engage our faith, to see our good and just God and bring us closer to him, to trust that he will bring about his justice, his kingdom in its fullness. As is common is how parables are given in that time frame. We see examples, good and bad, that follow them in reality. We see him give these stories of kingdom realities, but then we see it really played out in people's lives. And this is, this is true in uh, Luke 18 as well. Because then Luke, right after these two parables and giving these, these admonishment, he shares a couple stories wrapped again around Jesus foretelling his death. We see disciples that don't think that kids need to come near to Jesus. What does that directly speak to? God, I thank you that I am a big grown adult that gets to come into your presence where the kids can just stay away. Speaks to their lack of humility. How they can fall, be trapped in that just as easily as the Pharisees can. God, I am granted privilege into your presence, but they can stay outside. We see a rich young man who keeps the Torah law perfectly, but incredibly still knows in his heart that he needs something more for eternal life. But he's unwilling, unwilling to give up his riches, his truth, his righteousness for the kingdom. And then we see a blind man begging to the son of David for mercy. Have mercy on me. How often we are blind to the very things we need. We're blind to the fact that we act sometimes more like Pharisees than we do the disciples that Jesus is calling us to be. How often we make judgments on what is right or wrong, what is righteous or unrighteous, instead of allowing God and his word to be our truth. How often we lack the humility and the willingness to come to God with childlike faith. And we even expect others to be and do more than that. So this week, take courage. God hears you and he sees you in your distress. And he is not slow to coming to your aid and bringing justice. He's not slow in coming so take notice of the ways that you have allowed self-righteousness to pull you off course and into judging others. 
deeming yourself worthy because you think you're better than others. Remember that one, one who walked with Jesus, he listened to the words of Jesus. He failed to live up to the words of Jesus. And he experienced the grace of God firsthand. Peter, he said this about Jesus and how we live with him. First Peter 5, 5 to 7, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Today, wherever you are, whether you are in a camp where you're like, God, I just need more of you. God, I know how broken I am before you. God, I barely can even lift my eyes to you because I know that I'm lost without you. If you're there, keep pressing in and trusting that God is going to be there for you, that he is going to vindicate you and bring justice. He's going to uplift you. If Even if you're oppressed and you have everything stacked against you, God will be there for you. But keep pressing in closer to him. Don't let the lack of justice right now put seeds of doubt or, or seeds of judgment into your heart that cause you to look at others and, 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 and uh, crave what they have. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And if today, maybe you've come to church and you've come in thinking, nah, I think I'm all right. I think I'm good. I think I, I, I got a couple things going for me here that are pretty decent. So in, in terms of all the things going on in the world right now, I think, I'm, I'm, I, think I get in. It's going to be pretty good. Watch your heart. Only one of those two men went home vindicated that day. And in the grand eternal sense, that's the exact thing that stands as that measurement between where we sit with God, our Father, that separates us on his day of judgment. Is do you think you've got it all in your own hands or are you relying completely on the grace of we see the world today, whether no matter how, what kind of end times picture we view what's going on in the world today, it doesn't matter. Every moment leads us closer to Christ in his return. Every moment leads us closer to our own meeting of Jesus. If we were to pass before he returns, every moment it's a moment that God calls us to seek his face and call out to him for his grace, his mercy, his leading, his empowering for the life that he has for us. Our vindication will come, our justice will come, all the rights of the world, all the wrongs of the world will be righted. We can trust that God is good judge in his goodness and in his mercy.
today, I invite you to respond how you need to to the service. Respond how you need to, whether it's a cry for mercy from God, whether it's a cry for repentance to God, whether it's a it's a it's a asking forgiveness for allowing judgment and selfishness and and envy in your heart to cause you to not seek him and trust him. Whatever it is that God's pricked in your heart to respond today, I ask you to let him speak and let him work in your hearts. Respond if he's calling you. God, we just thank you. We thank you that you are not slow to respond, God, but in your perfect timing, you call us. In your perfect timing, you show up in our lives. In your perfect timing, you know when you're going to meet us in certain moments. You know when you're going to be there to help us. You know what we're going through, the challenges we face. You know what we've brought upon ourselves and what has been caused to us. You know when we think too highly of ourselves and when we cry out for mercy. You know it all. You see it all. And you're with us in it all. So today, God, may you hear from our hearts. May you hear from our hearts. Have mercy on us. See our, see our world the way it is, God. Come bring justice. Come in your mercy.